0: Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Jonathan Anthony at our Buragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Hello! (laughs) Hello! Well, tonight uh, it is such a privilege for me to share with you the second installment of our series on the surrendered life. Last week we kind of like commenced and, and, and we had like the road of suffering and tonight I will be sharing with you on the road to contentedness. Let me start off by just sharing you with this brief story about a pilot who always looked down intently on a certain particular valley on the Canadian mountains. And, uh, and when the plane passed overhead, he just kind of looked down all the time. And one day, his co-pilot asked him, I said, what's so interesting about that particular spot that every time we fly over, you always look down intently? And the pilot replied, "See, see that stream over there? Well, when I was a kid, I used to sit down there on the log and fish. And every time an airplane flew over, I would look up and wish I were flying. And now, I look down and wish I were fishing. (laughs) It's always tempting to think that what we have or where we are at is not good enough. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Let me tell you, friends, the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. For some of us have lived through life long enough to know and discover that. That the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side. Contentment cannot be achieved by increasing our possessions and increasing our, our um, savings account or increasing our wealth or anything like that. You know why? Because nothing will ever be enough to satisfy our human hearts. People are very interesting creatures. More often than not, people with curly hair wish they had straight hair. People with straight hair Wish they had curly hair. People with fair skin. Wish they had dark skin and beautiful tan. And people who are dark. Wish they were fair and white skinned. And people who are tall. Kind of wish that they're just a little bit shorter. And people who are short. Wish that they're just a little bit taller. And you know how I compensate that. I raise my hair two inches. (laughs) Janelle is 5'10". I'm five, ten and a half. I was like, that's not good enough. Let me raise two more inches. And when we go around and walk around, I'll be taller than her. And sometimes we wish we're just a little bit taller. Or uh, maybe people who are kind of like using Mac computers, they, they, they don't want Microsoft and others the vice versa. Or if you have an iPhone versus a Samsung or a Nokia and everyone is just not satisfied and not happy at all. And it just goes on and on and on and people are never contented and satisfied. Why is that? And whose, by whose standards are you comparing your life and yourself to? You know, these feelings of discontent and dissatisfaction is actually generating billions of dollars in business. And people's discontent and dissatisfaction is fueling these businesses. If you go to Asia and just look at the shelf, there's so many like whitening soap and whitening cream. Because majority of Asian people who have dark skinned wish they had white fair skinned. And you go to the Western world... The tanning salons are generating billions of dollars in business because everyone wants to have dark tan, beautiful evenly looking tan. And not realizing that we are the ones fueling these businesses because of our dissatisfaction and maybe we're not so happy with ourselves. There are many people who seemingly have little or no regard for material possessions. They accept poverty as a normal living condition. And their major concern is where they sleep that night and what they would eat the very next day. I just came back from Indonesia two weeks ago. And we had the opportunity of uh, going to the biggest rubbish tip of Jakarta. Square kilometers is so huge. And um, when we were walking through and, and you know you can feel the, the, the ground kind of like eek, squishing, like There's like this... this the this, sound this, this that's just coming through like as water and plastic and everything like that. And let me describe to you the smell that I have experienced. A very, very bad rotten onion. A very, very smelly socks Maybe haven't been washed for a month. And a very intense, pungent smell of a sewerage. Multiply that 250% intensity. You just pretend that the smell doesn't exist. And you just speak, inhale, breathe in, breathe out the air that these people are breathing. And as we were walking, I tried to turn my head and find just a little pocket of fresh air. None. And that was the kind of living condition that these people lived. Their main concern is how they live, where they sleep, and what they would eat that day. In contrast, in our affluent Australian society, the best that we can offer at our disposal, we have houses, holiday villas, we've got cars, we've got savings account, the envy of our community really. But does either scenario bring contentment is my question. If money can't buy contentment and poverty doesn't provide it, what is contentment and how is it attained? Contentment contrary to popular opinion does not mean being satisfied where you are. But rather it is knowing God's plan for your life, having a conviction to live it and believing that God's peace and purpose is greater than your human problem and your human circumstance. And so tonight, let's explore this a bit more, the road to contentedness. And our text tonight is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13, and it will be read to us by Michael Ram. Thank you, Michael. A reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen. Thank you, brother. Let me just give you a little brief brief background to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians was written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. This church in Philippi was established by Paul during his second missionary journey. As recorded in the book of Acts. And this was the very first church that was established in Europe in 49 AD. It's situated northeastern of Greece. It was a city named after Philip II of Macedon who was the father of Alexander the Great. And Paul's primary purpose in writing this letter to the church in Philippi is really to thank the congregation for the gift that they have sent through Timothy and Epaphroditus while he was in prison. So it could be supplies, it could be letters of encouragement, it could have been just kind of like really messages or anything like that to encourage Paul while he was in jail. And so in response to that, he wrote this letter to thank them for their generosity, for their concern of him while he was in prison. But also Paul wanted to take this opportunity to report back about his circumstances, to encourage the believers in Philippi to stand firm in the face of persecution and to rejoice regardless of whatever circumstances they find themselves in. And also to encourage them towards humility and unity. To commend Timothy and Epaphroditus to the congregation in Philippi. And most of all, lastly, to warn the Philippian congregation against Judaizers who were kind of like the legalists. And the antinomians who were the liberalists on this side. And Paul wanted to address that in this letter. Joy, according to Bible scholars, is a central theme of the book of Philippians. In fact, there are 16 Explicit references to joy or rejoicing. And so this word joy in Greek, kara, in the noun form joy. It means a feeling of inner gladness, delight or rejoicing. This is very important. Based on spiritual realities independent of what is happening around you. That is joy. The verb rejoice, Cairo in in Greek, means to be glad, to rejoice exceedingly, to be well, and to thrive. What does that tell us? It means that if we actually have genuine inner joy in our hearts, we will be well with our soul. We will be well with ourselves. We will have the ability to thrive, to develop, and to grow. That is what joy does to you. And so, when we look at that and look at our very first uh, uh, verse in, in verse 10, Paul said, I rejoice. Now, can you imagine his present circumstance at this stage when he was writing this letter was that he was in jail. He was probably flogged. He was probably beaten before thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. And he was in jail. He was probably suffering. He was probably still recovering. And yet he said, I rejoice. I rejoice. Because of your concern for me. I want to thank you. He had a grateful heart. He responded with gratitude for what the congregation of Philippi did for him. It's the last thing in my mind if I was in that situation. But numerous times, even during uh, uh, the imprisonment of, of Paul with Silas in the book of Acts. What was the response of Paul and Silas while they were in jail? Were they kind of like bitter and and self-pity and the wallowing of themselves and the misery and anything like that? No, they just began to sing and rejoice. And we can see here that it is actually very uh countercultural kind of response because that's not how you would respond. Like, why are you singing? Why are you doing this? Why are you rejoicing? Why are you responding like this in the midst of your situation? You know why? Because Paul had an inner contentment that wasn't influenced on the circumstances around him. The external ones. But he was more influenced on the inner contentment that he had experienced in Jesus. And so tonight, the question that I want to ask ourselves is, how do we discover contentment? How do we discover contentment? Let me share with you very briefly just four very basic principles from our text tonight. Is that contentment is learned. It is learned. In verse 11, Paul said this phrase twice. I have learned how to be content. I have learned the secret. In other words, it is actually learned. It's not something that will land on you. It's not something that will be bashed on you. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It is learned over a period of time. And so when Paul used that phrase I have learned, it really shows Paul's teachable spirit. He is and he was a lifelong learner. He wants to continue learning about God. He wants to continue learning about the different lessons that he can learn from his experience, from the difficulties and the circumstances that he finds himself. He was not resting on his own achievements. Resting on his own laurels and accomplishments. But he was resting in the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Paul. Who who was Paul? Philippians 3 verse 4 to 7. He said, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of the Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, meaning a really strict follower of the law. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I am faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss or rubbish, in other translations, for the sake of Christ. Learning is a process that leads to change. For Paul, it was a 180 degree turn. Here, he was persecuting the Christians. He was chasing them. He was just wanting them to be eradicate completely. He was against what they believe. And when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus... He turned this way and he was so committed to the cause of Christ. And not just committed to the cause of Christ. But he was committed to knowing more about this Jesus that revealed himself on the road to Damascus. He wants to learn more about this God. And so in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, he declared, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Now who among us here could honestly say, I have learned everything there is to learn about God. Raise your hand. Who can say, I have learned everything there is to know and learn about God. Not one. Not one. And so Paul, Paul's desire was to know and to learn more about Christ. Research shows that every time you learn a skill, new cells burst in your brain. When you learn, your brain swells and grows. And when you stop learning, your brain declines. So when you put into practice what you have learned you gain wisdom now we have a generation of people full of knowledge with the advent of the internet but lacks wisdom which is really the application of knowledge so how long will it take to read all the information available on the internet I did a bit of research, and what I found is that it will take 57,000 years. If you read all the information available online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, it will take you 57,000 years. How many of you have that much years in your life? But if you only read it 10 minutes at bedtime, it will take you 8 million 219,088 years, provided there are no more information uploaded at this very second. We don't have that much time to learn everything there is available online. My question is, what's been God teaching you lately? What have you learned so far about Trusting God, about loving Him, about obeying His command, about following Him. What have you learned lately? The second principle I want to share with us tonight is that it is forged through life circumstances. Contentment is formed or forged uh, through life circumstances. Paul, in verse 12, he said, Whether I am in need or in plenty, well-fed or hungry, and in any and every situation, I am content. Paul's joy and sense of contentment was not dependent on external circumstances, but rather through his relationship with Jesus as the bedrock and foundation of his faith. Contentment, is not, uh, contentment in the Christian life is, not a, is, is all about having the right perspective. True contentment is not based on circumstances. But rather the key to lasting contentment is only found through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the divine perspective that Paul wanted to communicate to the church in Philippi. And he said, you know what folks, Christ is our ultimate example. And then he wrote Philippians chapter 2. And through following his patterns of humility and sacrifice in Jesus, we can find joy and contentment in every circumstances. Do you know that as Christians we are not immune to difficulties in life? Whether you are Christian or non-Christian, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, we actually face similar difficulties. We actually face similar circumstances. We actually face similar trials. As it is, I know God. I believe in God. I find it hard. And sometimes I ask myself the question, What about those who don't believe or know God? How hard would that be for some of those people? Because we are facing similar things in our lives. And Paul was asserting that that he has learned through his experience, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want, or in every situation. His experience taught him a lot. And this was paralleled with his theology, his understanding, and his relationship with Jesus. And that is why he was content, no matter what the situation was. Do you know that for an average person to experience what, what Paul experienced, being flogged, being beaten, being persecuted, being accused, being thrown to jail, you know, experiencing hunger, experiencing being shipped right how many times or anything like that, for me, from a human perspective, that's more than enough to call it quits. Amen? That's more than enough to call it quits. How many of us here can raise our hands and say, you know what, I have experienced way more than what Paul went through. So I call it quits. Enough of this church business. Enough of this religion. Enough of this Christianity. Enough of this God thing. Enough of this Jesus thing. Enough of having this relationship with God. Enough of that. I've had enough of life. If we have a strong faith and relationship with God, that will enable us to stand, in the midst, stand strong in the midst of life's difficulties. I've shared this before in the past uh, about the passing of my father when I was 11 years old. When I look back to that experience, the only thing I can give credit to was the faith of my parents and my mom especially that she has planted in our hearts and in me. I found it very difficult to process as an 11-year-old. But at a very young age, I have learned to understand Romans 8:28 That for we know that in all things, God works together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. I did not learn it right then and there. But through the years, I look back, I have learned that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And for Paul, no matter what the circumstances were, he was so committed to the cause of Christ. Why? Because of the experiences that he's had. It formed him. It solidified his relationship. He was able to experience the reality of God and the reality of Jesus Christ in that situation. And the third principle is that it is a secret known to those who are in Christ. It is a secret known to those who are in Christ. Verse 12, Paul said, I know what it means to live in plenty. I know, I have learned, I want to know Christ. You know, this word know actually expresses intimacy. It expresses relationship. It expresses constant communication and communion with Jesus Christ. You know, the things of God are spiritually discerned and spiritually understood, which requires each one of us to search, to dig deep, to carefully consider that we may discern well and make good choices out of that. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7, it says, No, Paul said, We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. And he went on in Ephesians 3, 4, he says, In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. You know, there are a lot of things that are only spiritually discernible. Not humanly understandable. Only spiritually discernible. I cannot explain when someone prays the sinner's prayer and gives their heart to the Lord. And something happens in their heart and transformation begins to change. I cannot psychologically explain that. But it is real and it is happening. Because God is in the business of transforming and and drawing people back to himself. The 19 baptisms last Friday night. How do you explain that experience from these young people? How do you quantify that? What happened? Were they forced to it? Were they bribed by the church to do it? Why is that? Because the things of God... Are spiritually discerned. The things of God. That needs to be spiritually understood. And if we look at our lives. And our circumstances. Through the human lens. We will never be able to get the right. And correct explanation for it. But if we look at it. From the lens of grace. From the eyes of heaven. We will understand. Why? Because God Will reveal it to you. Amen. That is is so amazing. That is so amazing. And fourth and final principle. Is that it is only possible in Jesus Christ. It is only possible in Jesus Christ. Paul boldly declared. I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me the strength. From a human perspective. It was impossible. But from a divine perspective, it was possible. Oh, Paul, how can you ever get out of that jail? Oh, Paul, how can you get out of this? Oh, Paul, how can you ever do this? But you know what? Paul was able to write majority of the books in the New Testament. He wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Scholars still argue whether he wrote the book of Hebrews. And if he did... Then his contribution to the entire Bible, in the New Testament in particular, is 14 books. And you know how many churches Paul planted? 20 churches that he's planted. A person who was flogged, who was tortured, who was imprisoned, who was harmed physically, did all this. And now we're reaping the benefit of the gospel of grace. It's not because of anyone else. But because of Paul. Who really got the call of God to take this gospel message to the Gentiles. And that's why we are recipients of that. That's what Paul, uh, Paul's contribution to our Christian faith. And for him to boldly say. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I wonder how many of us. Have given up and say, I can't do that. It's too hard. I can't do it. It's too difficult. I can't do it. It's too painful. I can't do it. It hurts. I can't do it. 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 And yet in the midst of Paul's circumstances. He concluded this text tonight by saying in verse 13. I can do all things. Through Christ who gives me the strength. You know what, brothers and sisters? In Christ, we have everything we need in life and for life. Strength for you to live. Strength for your ministry. Strength for your family. Strength for your studies. Strength for all your human relationships. Strength for the day-to-day challenges and trials of life. Because there is so much in store for each one of us in Christ. Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 19 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow. Here are some promises that I want us to grab hold on to. Hebrews 13 verse 5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. King David declared in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. In Philippians 3 7, Paul declared, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. The secret to contentedness is not Christ and me. Let's show that slide, Ed. The secret to contentedness is not Christ and me it is christ in me can we just read that together out loud and make that our declaration tonight the secret to contentedness is not christ and me it's christ in me are you looking for contentment in christ or are you looking for contentment everywhere else and in all the wrong places that's the question you know c.s. lewis said it beautifully He said, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. Wow. Let me close by asking all of us, including myself, these questions. How has God tried to teach you contentment through the years? Is it natural for you to fill your mind with knowledge or to fill your life with wisdom and practice? What is your response to this statement? If God is so loving, why does he let difficult circumstances into my life? Let's just reflect on those three questions and ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts tonight. Because you know what? I don't want any one person to leave this room still feeling discontented. I want all of us to settle once and for all before the cross and before the throne of God and say, God, Lord, forgive me. I've been looking and searching and seeking for contentment and satisfaction in all the wrong places when the whole time it's only found in you. Let's learn from Paul. Let's learn from Jesus our savior himself. Who the very nature God was prepared to empty himself. Be humble. Go through the difficulties just for the sake of redeeming each one of us. Let's just bow our heads together right now. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for just the lessons that we've learned from, from Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And, and Father, it is my prayer tonight, Lord God, that that we will discover the path and the road to contentment. Lord, help us. Spirit, O Holy Spirit, enable us to let go of those things that entangles us, those baggage that slow us down. Help us to discover that. And Lord, we thank you that because of your Son, Jesus, it is possible to find that in him we hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church if you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 93291777 thanks for joining us we look forward to your company again soon god bless